much as I like thinking about the cross, I have to thank the Lord that there was day three. I'm thankful that, you know, my faith doesn't end in a grave somewhere. Uh, I couldn't imagine being one of the disciples as you've given your life to follow this man who most people claimed was a maniac throughout his ministry. You began to really question everything that he said. And, and you know, we, we want to believe that they had tremendous faith, but if I were in that upper room or, or anywhere at that time, I think it would have been a little bit of a, a strange feeling. But then to finally get news from someone that, hey, he, he really, he's not in the grave. <laughs> like he said, he's not there. Could you imagine the validation of their faith at that moment? They say, everything that we've done, every, all the works, every, everything is real. And I promise you, you'll never regret serving Christ because it will always end that way. Everything he said was real. It's truth. I'm glad Christianity is a validated religion. But we're not speaking about that at all tonight. I just thought that during the song because uh, the second verse of that said the disciples were hiding. And I just know that, that, that this must have been a shocking time. But uh, I'm glad that there was day three, and, and uh, everything that the Lord said he would do, he did. And that's a great truth. Uh, but please take your Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 is where we'll be tonight. Thank you so much for coming and, and joining us, whether by way of your presence here tonight or by way of the radio or live stream. We're so thankful you could join us. I'm sure right at this moment my dad is sitting in a hospital room, probably live streaming the services right now, so I can't say anything negative towards him or I'll get fired tomorrow. So uh, I've got to make sure I keep it all positive towards him. But Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll be tonight. We'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham... And he said, Behold, here, am, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray tonight that you please bless the sermon, and Lord, I've spent a little time in study, and I've spent a little time in prayer, but all that really falls flat if you don't help me tonight. So, Lord, once again, I ask for your divine help. I pray that you would be already working in the hearts. And, Lord, I pray that the people in the room would already be wanting to receive something, because it's very hard to receive something with a closed mind, a closed heart, or a closed hand. And so, Father, I pray tonight 
you'd already be working in that area of their life. Lord, we won't be long tonight, but I do pray in the moments that we have together, your word would be quick and powerful and would strike at the hearts of every person in here. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. When I was younger, I used to trade cards. We would gather cards, and, and I did everything from NFL and Major League Baseball. I even got into the Pokemon cards for a little bit, and uh, we were moving our furniture the other day, and Brother, Gerald, uh, Brother Jared uh, picked up a, a, it was like a sleeve of my Pokemon cards. He's like, hey, Andrew, look, you're such a loser, pretty much is what he said. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was kind of funny, but I never really had many great cards, uh, even when I was, whether it was Major League Baseball or football or even the Pokemon, I never had many great cards. I do remember my mom several times would take me to different locations to purchase the cards of, that I desired. I was a little bit spoiled when I was younger. And so they would do that for me. It was a very generous thing of them to do. But I remember there was one time when I had collected some really good NFL cards. I remember I had the rookie card of Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, and Michael Irving, which back then, and I'm talking about this was just a few years after they had retired, I mean, these guys were all about Dallas. I mean, everything in Dallas was about the big three, right? And Dion came later, but, I mean, we all loved those three guys, and I had their rookie cards, and they were all the tops uh, brand, and, and I tell you, it was a great, great thing. Uh, I was excited about it. But I would go, and I would begin to trade all my cards, and, and people would always ask me, well, what do you want for that Troy Aikman? And I'd say, absolutely nothing. And say, well, what about your Emmett Smith? And at that time, you know, he was still playing for Dallas, and he had not gone on to Arizona. He had not broken the all-time rushing record. But you knew he was somewhat of a Hall of Fame running back, and I said, absolutely nothing. You can give me nothing that would convince me to trade you this card. They were, in a word, untouchable. I mean, nobody could give me enough money, enough uh, 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 bartering. No, no amount of that was going to get those cards from me because I knew they were of great value. Tonight, I simply want to speak to you on this subject, the untouchables. What in your life is untouchable to God? What is so close to your heart, you would not be willing to part from it even if God asked you to? The untouchables. Tonight I want to look at a man quickly who was asked to give the one thing that in his life should have been untouchable, but it was not. And we see Abraham here, and we'll notice a few things about him tonight. First of all, I want you to notice the undeniable call that was given to Abraham here. The undeniable call. Look in verse number 1 of chapter 22. We see the Bible says this. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now we read that verse and most of us would understand when the Bible uses the word tempt there, the Bible also in another place says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither he tempts any other man. So God does not tempt us. The Bible strictly teaches us that when we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lusts. And so when we are tempted, God never puts something in our path that we are tempted by. But 1 Corinthians promises us that God will, in any temptation, whether given by the devil or by our own lust, will make a way to escape any temptation that we face. And, and that's a great truth, and I would encourage any person in this room to learn that reference and that verse. Uh, but we know here the Bible specifically teaching us that God tested Abraham. He wanted to see what his untouchable thing was, if there was one. And so he goes to the nearest and dearest thing to Abraham's heart, his son. But I want you to notice Abraham's reaction as he hears God's call upon his life. In verse 2, we see the call. And, and basically, God just says, Abraham, I want you to give your son. 
And so in the, in the case that you know I'm not withholding any information from you, Abraham, let's make sure we know the one I'm talking about. Your only son, the son that I gave you, the promised one, the guy that, that I gave you in your old age, that son, that's the one I want you to give. Can I ask you a quick question? How in the world are we supposed to know what to give on the big give-it-all Sunday? How are we supposed to come up with a number? How are we supposed to, in our minds, understand what God wants us to be better stewards of in the month of January and, and really the remaining months of the year? How are we supposed to know? Well, I read this story and many other stories in the Bible, and I just don't really ever see when there's great confusion between God and His men. When God wants something, He tells them, and there's no, well, God, are you sure? Abraham knew exactly what he was asking. And I want to take a look at two reasons why. First of all, because Abraham was a man who was righteous. Look here in chapter 21. This is actually not in our text tonight. But in chapter 21, we see in verses 12 through 14, a situation that arises in Abraham's life. And the Bible tells us in verse uh, uh, 12 in chapter 21, And God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the, thy bondwoman in all that Sarah hath said unto thee. Hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So let me fill you in what's going on now. Sarah has conceived Isaac. Uh, 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 Sarah's uh, uh, handmaid, uh, that would be uh, Abraham's bondwoman, it was Hagar, that one, she had Ishmael. So during this time, Ishmael was not the promised son. And if you will recall in your memory, basically what takes place is God had promised Abraham a son. Sarah got a little impatient, began to talk to Abraham. And Abraham, uh, she convinced Abraham to actually go ahead with uh, going in into uh, Hagar and having Ishmael. And, and we, know, we all know that story. Well, after all this takes place... Ishmael and Isaac, they're growing up together, and Sarah begins to get a little upset at all the things that are taking place around uh, the house. And she knows that her son was the promised son, the miracle child, the one given in Abraham's old age. And so now she says, Abraham, I want you to get rid of this bondwoman and, and this son of yours. Now, the unique thing is it was really her idea in the first place. But when we do things out of God's will, often they backfire. And that's exactly what takes place in the life of Abraham and Sarah here. Now, Abraham uh, is very, uh, I want to say he's very depressed. He's very upset at the saying that he hears from his wife. He doesn't want to get rid of his son. He does not want to put this woman out. But God specifically says, Abraham, don't let it grieve your heart. Do what your wife has asked. In verse 13, we continue. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. Now Abraham could have cut him off. He could have done exactly what the Lord said and just said, get away from me. Uh, my wife has said this. God has said this. But I want you to see the righteousness of Abraham here. Verse 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Please do not mistake a righteous man for a perfect man. Abraham was not perfect. He made mistakes in his life, and if you ask my opinion, I believe this was one of them. Not the fact that he obeyed God and let him go, but... The fact that he ever showed such a lack of faith in God that he doubted whether God's word would come true or not. But here we see Abraham, even in a mistake, even having to deal with the things that he's failed in in the past, he deals with them righteously. Now righteousness is a synonym of holiness or piety, but I believe if we were to look even deeper than that, righteousness is being right with God and with man. Because I can't be wrong with my brethren inside this church and be right with God. And so righteousness is found in day-to-day -day dealings of doing right to our fellow, fellow men. 
Abraham was a righteous man in the fact that he dealt with Hagar kindly and gently. And he made a mistake. Sure, he, made fa- he had failures in the past. We all do, do we not? But how do we deal with our day-to-day life? And how do we deal with the mistakes that we are still making up for from our past? And Abraham here, I think he handles this situation correctly. He's grieved at the same, but God says... Don't worry about it, Abraham. You're going to have to do it anyway. Proverbs 15, uh, uh, verse 29 says this. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. And if you don't think that me saying that Abraham dealing with Hagar and his son Ishmael, if you don't think that's a righteous thing, well, we know that the Bible tells us in James chapter 2, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So the fact of the matter is, whether you like my analysis of this passage, James tells us Abraham was a righteous man. Do you want to know how to find out what to give? Struggle for righteousness. Try being in a place with not only the Lord, but with those around you that God could say, I will speak to you. And I will teach you things, and I will reveal things to your spirit through my spirit. Abraham was a righteous man, and so when God comes to him with a message, there was no, uh, uh, no friction. It was smooth because Abraham was a righteous man. Secondly, Abraham was a man who had a relationship. Now, I'm just trying to teach you quickly tonight how you can know what to give. And I believe it would be absolutely insane for an unrighteous man or a backslidden Christian to feel as if God would be able to teach him anything. Because you know what the Lord's telling that man? Repent. Get right with me first, and then I'll teach you. Then I'll show you things. But you must repent first. But I do also believe that if you do not have an intimate relationship with the Lord and with Christ, I don't understand how you could ever think that he could reveal anything to you. Abraham had an intimate relationship. In the same verse that the Bible calls Abraham a righteous man in James chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God has friends. The Bible never says about any angel that they're a friend of God. It never says about any of the created archangels or the, the beautiful seraphims that they're even friends of God. But the Bible teaches that Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham had a relationship with the Lord. And as we evaluate how much are we to give, what are we to give, what ministry are we to serve in, what are we supposed to do better in 2014 that we did not do in 2013, do not mistake financial commitment for any type of obedience to the Lord. Because I want to draw your attention to a man in Acts chapter 18. His name is Simon. And he is part of the new church. He's he's part of the, the, the amazing things that are taking place in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, what's taking place is they're laying the, their hands on men. And the Holy Ghost is being given from one man to another through the laying on of hands. Simon views this and he says, I've got to have that. That's what I want. I want that so badly, he says, what do I have to pay? What is it that I have to give so that I can receive that gift? Acts chapter 18, and and Peter basically condemns condemns Simon. He says, but Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. And pay attention to the reason why. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. You want to know why? Many men never feel as if they really truly know what God is wanting them to do with their life. It's a heart matter. You want to know why many men will sit down around the dinner table with their wife and guess at what to give on February, the first Sunday in February? You want to know why? 
Because their heart is not in a place that God could reveal anything to them. Abraham was a friend of God. He was a righteous man. He was a man who God could speak to because he had a genuine relationship with him. Oh, now I don't want to even have to think that we need instructions as to how to get a relationship with Christ. You need not sit through hours and hours of discipleship to understand how you should have a genuine relationship with Christ. It's found in the simple truth of a bus song. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. And you say, Brother Andrew, it's not that easy. You know what? God has revealed Himself to us through the power of His perfect Word. And we have the opportunity to approach Him in intercessory prayer and, and uh, prayer that He can reveal things to us and we can ask things from Him. And He's given us the Holy Spirit of God and that is revealed to us through this Word. And we are made sensitive to His Word by His Spirit. No, no, no. It is that simple. You want to know what to give? Get right with God. Understand that if there is something in your life that you would classify as untouchable, immovable, unbreakable, even for God, that's the thing you need to get rid of. For God wants to show you things. God, God, God wants to teach you something. But He's having trouble getting through the untouchables. Oh, we see, first of all, an undeniable call, but secondly... Look at this, an unbelievable request. In verses 2 through 3 of chapter 22, we, we now see what God has asked Abraham to give. Now, throughout the Bible, there's several times when offerings are given to the Lord. Many times it's a, a bull or a goat. Many times a, a, it's even fruit or something to that nature, but... But here we see God has something that he's never asked of any other man before in the Bible uh, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. First of all, I want to notice this. This was a very intimate request. A very intimate request. When God asked this of Abraham, he knew that this would be the hardest thing for Abraham to give up. Now, I've not been a father very long, and hopefully I'll be able to... I was thinking about this right, right here when I was sitting down, and Brother Troy and Miss Lemons and Sable were up here singing, and... I remember Sable when she was much younger, and I was thinking, man, she's really grown up. Now she's sitting here singing and worshiping the Lord, and that's a great thing. And I thought, man, I can't wait to have my daughter sing with me. She tries now. It's just, <laughs> you know, that's basically her harmony. A lot of the latter portion of crying. No, you know, I, I'm excited about that. Not, like I've said, I've not been a father very long, but I know that if there were a bus coming my way and it was me or my daughter, I know exactly which one I would choose. You see, for Abraham, even laying himself down on that altar would not have been as big of a deal. He chose the one thing that was the closest to Abraham's heart that there was. And he says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one that I promised you, the one that I gave you, not the one that you decided to get, the one that I promised. Take him and give him. Take your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 24. I don't believe that there is any way an offering that costs you nothing could ever be pleasing to the Lord. You see, the reason that was this offering that Abraham was willing to give was so amazing was that it went farther than, than probably even Abraham thought he was willing to go. 
It was the thing in this world that cost him more than anything. At this time, Abraham had amassed a great uh, amount of land and, and cattle and, and, and things like this. But Abraham would have laid those all down on the altar. But God said, Abraham, I want you to give your son. And I just believe an offering that costs you something is an offering that is pleasing to the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 24, we see in verse 20, we find a very unique story take place. Basically, David has numbered the people and... He knew as soon as he did it, it was wrong. And now the Lord has given him three three things that he could choose. He could choose to be chased by enemies. He could choose a, a, a few things. But David said, Lord, I will choose to fall upon your hand because your mercies. And so God sent pestilence upon the people. But as God got to Jerusalem, it grieved the Lord's heart. And that's why David's decision was wise, is because God is a good, loving God and a merciful God. And God steals his hand at Jerusalem. And now we find the story in verse 18. David is going to offer an offering to the Lord so that he can please the Lord. And really, it's a beautiful story. Verse 18, And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aranu, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aranu looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aranu uh, went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aranu said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. Narana said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arana, as a king, give unto the king. And Arana said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. Look here in verse 24. And the king said unto Arana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth, not, doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. You see this man, the Bible actually tells us, and I believe it is Second Chronicles, that his name is Ornan. Now, the translation has it as Aranu one place and Ornan another place. And that's not uncommon for names to be slightly different as it is Elias in one place and Elijah in another place. But we find here that this man by the name of Ornan, as David comes to him and he says, I need to give this offering. That is what Gad has has asked me to do. That's what the Lord wants me to do. I'm going to give this offering. This man by the name of Ornan says, Okay, David, you're my king. I'm just going to give you the threshing floor. I'm just going to give you wood, all the instruments of my trade. I'm going to give you those things. I'm going to give you the oxen. I'm going to give you it all. And David says, no, I I can't accept that. I would never offer something to my God that didn't cost me anything. You know why this sacrifice that Abraham was willing to give was so special to God? Is it because? It cost him the closest thing to his heart. It was very intimate to him. And I just believe in the month of stewardship, as we speak about this topic, if you have no problem giving money, God does not want more money. If you have trouble going to a door and asking someone if they're lost, whether they know Christ as their Savior, that's the thing God wants you to give. See, I get so weary of hearing preachers talk about, well, some people have certain gifts, and those are the gifts that they ought to develop. And and I believe that to some extent, but I don't believe a businessman, simply because he's successful at business, makes him any less obligated to fulfill the Great Commission. 
I don't believe just because you can write a hefty check uh, the first Sunday in February makes you any less committed to giving your time and your talent to the Lord. If you can write a big check, but you sing for secular causes, that is absolutely what the Lord does not want you to do. He's saying, I want you to give the thing that is the most sensitive area of your life. That's what he asks of Abraham, and that's what he asks of each and every one of us. What is it that is untouchable in your life? What is the thing that you say, Lord, I will give almost everything to you, but in some areas I'm just going to cling on to those. You know the reason I preach about music to your teenagers? It's not necessarily because hearing a song about love for another person is really that wrong. Man, my wife and I were listening to Disney jams going down the road yesterday. I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But I just believe in most cases, it's teenagers will say, that is one thing I'm not giving up. And I just believe a lot of times it's coming from the adults, their parents. That's the one thing that I'm not with. You know, I'm not up here to, to condemn you for listening to any type of music, but I do believe there is a point when music becomes a point of rebellion. And if in this month the Lord speaks to you about giving uh, $10,000 or 10,000 tracks out, that ought to be what you do. You ought not be concerned about what is uncomfortable. You think it was comfortable for Abraham to go up to this altar and have to basically tell his son, son, uh, now it's time for me to bind you up. Now it's time for me to throw you on this altar. God wants your untouchables. He wants the thing that is the most intimate to you. I believe that. Secondly, it was an immediate response. Look at this in verse number 3. Now, God tells Abraham exactly what he wants from him. And because Abraham is such a righteous man who has such a good relationship with the Lord, there is no you know, weary lines of communication. It's pretty immediate that Abraham knows exactly what God wants him to do. God says, verse 2, take your son and offer him to me, in verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. You know what, I, I truly believe that sometimes in the Bible there's times when we read days or even hours as much lengthier times, and, and sometimes I believe it works adversely. I believe sometimes we read uh, uh, years into a situation where it's very quick. And so, but I do believe in this specific instance, God says, Abraham, I want you to give your son. And there was never a doubt in Abraham's mind what he was going to do. You want to know why Abraham was a righteous man? Why he is included in the hall of faith? Because he showed great faith and obedience to the Lord. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I want us to meet 150,000. But if we meet 150,000 with a bunch of backslidden Christians, boy, what a shame. The goal is not a, an amount of money. The goal is to stretch your faith. For you to see God work and God do something in your life. And that's why I say it's so much more about money. It's so much more than than just writing a big check on one day. You can budget in big checks. I just believe God's wanting to do something in this congregation far bigger than meeting a $150,000 goal. He's wanting to work in your life. And He's wanting to show you exactly how good He is. And that's what I believe he's wanting to do. Mark 2, verse 14, uh, we see a story of a man by the name of Levi. And he has somewhat of a reaction, a lot like uh, uh, Abraham here in our passage. And the Bible says, and as he passed by, that's Jesus passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. You know what I've noticed? When I was younger, my mom would say, I'm sitting there watching SportsCenter on my television, or I'm playing a little video game, whatever it is. My mom would say, Andrew, by the time I get back from the grocery store, I need this room to be clean. 
You know what I've noticed? If I continued to watch SportsCenter, that was the quickest grocery trip I've ever seen in my life. But if I got up and I tended to do the thing that she had asked, and then I returned to playing my video game or watching SportsCenter, whatever it was, I did what she had asked, and I did it immediately, and I never got in trouble. But almost every time, if I continued to do the thing that I was doing at the time, she told me, most of the time I just forgot about it totally. And the reason I bring this up is because I believe if you want to be an obedient, faithful follower of God in this month, the second God reveals something to you, act upon it. If He's giving you a number... Act upon it. My dad this morning said, you know, I've changed my number a few times. You know what? He was willing to give the next number, and the Lord says, well, what about this one? Okay, I'll give that number. And the Lord says, what about this one? And the Lord's not trying to highball you, but he's saying, I want to stretch you. And I want to make you so that your faith can grow. It's so much bigger than an offering. It's about your growth as a Christian. And I see here one of the admirable aspects of Abraham's life is the fact that he knew the message, he heard what the request was, and he had an immediate response. No arguing, no complaining. Lord, if that's what you want me to do, then I'll do it. Finally, look with me, if you will, an unmistakable approval. Now, we are almost done. We have much time uh, still left in the service, but we're almost done with the sermon Verse 12, we find the Lord as Abraham lifts up his hand, and I believe it was an emotional scene taking place. The Abraham lifts up his hand, and verse 12, the Lord speaks to Abraham, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Now, I cannot read that verse without hearing the pleasure of the Lord as he says it. He says, Abraham, you can put the knife down. I put you through the ringer, and you came out shining. Abraham, I'm proud of you. I, now I know that you fear me. I asked you to do the one thing that, that, that is hard for someone to do. And you did it. And you see here the Lord's pleasure. You know, another time in the Bible when I see that the Lord is pleased with something, it's a very strange thing for the Bible to say. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. The Bible says, And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now we know who that's speaking of. We know that speaking of Christ, our Savior, I believe that it pleases the Lord when sacrifice stretches us, when it's not comfortable, when it's not convenient. I want you to notice two things about the Lord's sacrifice. First of all, it it came at a great cost to Him. You see, there was nothing more valuable to the Lord. Our Father in heaven owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills that the cattle are sitting on. And He owns every amount of grass on it. He owns the dirt under it. He owns it all. And so for the Lord to sacrifice a goat or a bull, it would have been no thing. For the Lord to send an angel, it would have been no thing because He can create another one. All of the angels, everything that you see was created by our Lord, our Father in heaven. No big skin off His back if He just sends someone. You see, the unique thing was Jesus cost him something. Because it was as if God tore a piece of himself off and sent it to us. And he sent his son, and it was the most valuable thing he had. You know, I, I love songs, southern gospel songs, but sometimes they don't always think about the words that they write down. And, and I love the ones that say, just suppose God searched through heaven. Well, that's a dumb thing to suppose, because he didn't. And if he had searched, it would not have been a very long search. You see, there was only one that could die for us. There was only one that would have cost the Lord anything. 
And that was his son. What's your offering going to cost you in the month of January? And the reason I don't specifically tie it to money is maybe you need to just lay yourself on it. Maybe you need to be the one on it and not your checkbook. Because there have been a lot of backslidden Christians that could get by with 90%. I just wonder if God's not speaking to some of us much deeper than just giving a large amount. But he's saying, I want more of you and less of your checkbook. You see, God's offering cost him something, but not only did it do that, it came with great compassion. You know the reason John 3.16 is so famous? Because it's good. For God so loved. Don't know why. Doesn't make sense. Because we were unlovable. We were unlovely. We were ugly. We were wicked. The Bible calls us uh, 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 friends or enemies of God. It speaks of us as being friends of the world and sons of the devil. And why would God send his son for us? Because he loved us. You know what? I don't believe it's possible to give a sacrifice or an offering pleasing to God without it be supported or backed by your love. If you give with a, uh, uh, an amount of resentment, if you give with a, a little bit of regret that, man, that's just a little bit more than I wanted to do, the Lord looks at you and says, well, you should have done what you were happy with. Because someone who puts something in a plate and doesn't have the support or the love or the faith or the trust to say, God, I'm giving it out of love, out of the sincerity of my heart. Lord, you've been so good to me, so Lord, I give this back to you, Lord. This is just an offering. This is just me saying, Lord, I praise you. You are so great to me. The person that can't do that ought not give it all. Because God's not impressed with your money. He owns it all. God's not impressed with us if we can uh, write more zeros on the check. He wants your love. And I believe uh, an offering that's pleasing to Him will always be backed with compassion and with love towards Him. Not only do I notice in this passage the Lord's pleasure, but this is very important, the Lord's provision. The Lord's providence in the whole scenario. Verse 14. Well, we'll read in 13. We'll start in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, that's a beautiful verse. That's a a type of Christ, how we were the ones on the altar, but Christ was given in our place. And that's a type of Christ. Don't overlook the beauty of that verse. But verse 14 often is very overlooked. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh. Can I just say to you today, I believe Abraham learned a lesson this day. For Jehovah-Jireh, if you wanted to be very basic, it means the Lord will provide. Jehovah, however, doesn't just always mean the Lord. It means It means something much deeper. It means the existing one. It means uh, the one that is. It means uh, the great I am. The Jehovah means to be or to be revealed. So as Abraham names it Jehovah Jireh, you know what he is saying? God has always been this, but today he revealed himself to me. God will always provide. If I obey, He provides. If I have faith, He provides. I just love how now in Abraham's life, he sets up this time, this, this landmark, this monument, if you will, this place of remembrance where he says, Oh, I remember when I went out of my comfort zone and God provided for me. You know why Christianity today has such little faith? Because we often don't have to have God's provision. You know, I sat down the other night and I began to write down my budget and I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what me and Amy's 
uh, funds look like and where they're all going. I pulled out a bank statement and I, I did all that. And, and I was trying to learn a little bit about what, what areas we're good at, what areas we're weak at, what areas we need to improve in so that we can save more money or so that we can have more money to be spent or whatever, whatever you think. And so I was doing this. And as I was doing it, I began to think, you know, I don't have to show much faith because my ends meet all the time. You know, I don't have a lot of outgo. I don't have a lot of income, but my dad taught me the value of a dollar. He taught me to never spend more than I could handle, and so I've applied that to my life. I believe one of the areas that I need to improve on, and maybe you need to improve on it too, is have I stretched myself? Have I spent so that I had to see the Lord provide? Have I, have I gone out of my comfort zone? Have I done what I think the Lord would, would be, not be able to do so that I could put him to the test and see if he could do it? And I believe he can. I believe what he wants from each and every one of us is he wants us, and please don't take this too far, he wants us to put him to the test. Now we heard this morning about uh, a pastor that is giving 90-day tithe offerings, the church is willing to reimburse. Now I'm not talking about that type of test. I'm just saying God is so good all the time, I believe he will meet any need you ever have. But just like Abraham, we ought to show obedience. We ought to obey him. We ought to be good enough to him that he would be able to say, yes, I'm willing to do that. Yes, I can show my grace. I can show my mercy. I can show my goodness to this child of mine. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary that we often hear about, wrote this in his journal speaking about God's faithfulness. He said, our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, and we do not expect he will send three three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. And then he said this, depend on it. God's work, done in God's way, will never lack. God's supply. You know the reason it's important that we don't just guess a number, that we find out God's number? Because when we do God's work, God's way, it will never lack supply. And if we will try cleaning out our lives and try seeking God's face as to what to give, not only will we meet the goal, I have no doubt about that, not only will we meet the goal, but we will all be able to see God's hand in our own lives, through our families and through our finances. God will provide. And you can look back just like Abraham did and you can say, I remember a time when when I went out of my comfort zone and and I remember a time when when I I thought there was no way it would work. I remember that time when it wasn't going to make ends meet and when I couldn't do it and he just gave me a number and he just told me what to do and I did that. And now I look back and call that place Jehovah Jireh. Now I look back and I remember that time, that monument when God showed me something and taught me something about his faithfulness and his provision. You know why stewardship's a lot more than about money? Because it's about God being able to prove He's still God. It's about that even in the, in the wake of a recession, even about uh, everybody's complaining about money, it's about God, even in that time, being able to show you, I still can make ends meet. And I believe He wants to do that in this church. I believe He wants to show us something. Matthew chapter 6, a beautiful chapter in the Bible. Verse 31, the Bible teaches us, and we've all heard this verse, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? And then the next verse says this, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Unsaved people that don't know the Lord, they seek after those types of things. Your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But in the wake of all that, you're searching for things you ought not be searching of. Seek ye first 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, we are almost done. We are, we are literally closing. I read a story earlier about a man by the name of Marquise de Lafayette. He was a man who helped George Washington in and, and many battles, and he was very good with his knowledge and war strategies, and so he would help George Washington make, make decisions. He was very much of a council-type man for George Washington. After the war was over, though, Marquise de Lafayette returned to doing what he always had done, his profession. He was just a farmer. Now, in 1783, there was a somewhat of a drought, and there was a very bad harvest. It was very unique, though, because for Mr. Lafayette, the harvest was actually quite good for him. Everybody else's was down, but his was poor. Or, uh, everybody else's was down, theirs was poor, his was great. And one of the men, one of the men that thought he could give some advice to Mr. Lafayette, came up to him and he said, I think that it's time to sell high. And Mr. Lafayette, and viewing everything else, after thinking about the hungry peasants in the surrounding villages, you know what he said? He said, no, this is the time to give. And the world's strategy is sell high, get for yourself, gain, uh, uh, get all that you can. I believe a wise strategy, when the Lord is telling you to do something, is give. Please don't think I'm talking about money. It's so shallow to think I am. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you being willing to give of yourself. More than even your times, talents, and treasures. I'm talking about, Daddy, are you willing to give everything that you are to become the man of God that your family needs? I'm talking about, Mama, are you willing to give up certain friends that make you do things that you ought not do? Are you willing to do that so that your family can be a stable family being raised, raising children for God's glory? I'm talking about teenagers. Are you willing to listen to your parents when they ask you to do something, not because they're right all the time, but because the Word of God says, honor your father and mother? I, I'm talking about people that are willing to say, it is time to give myself. I don't care what the campaigns are. I don't care if it says God is able. With a bunch of people who are not willing to lay themselves down, God can't do anything through them. God's wanting to do something through us. He would not allow us the provisions and the, the vision to see these new wings expanded if He didn't want to do something in your life. God is able. Are you willing? Are you willing?